Okay, so it's the last day of February, and it's been an interesting month. In fact, it's been an interesting Black History Month. The theme, for those of you who don't know, the theme this year for Black History Month was health and wellness. And you know what? It got me thinking about the connections between race and well-being. Hello, hello out there. It's Shara Carruthers here, and you are listening to the Live Like You Love Yourself podcast, an exploration of the simple, complex, and everyday ways that yoga shows up in your mind, body, and world. And I had quite a few thought-provoking conversations this month in February, including the one that we're sharing with you today. And each of these conversations has in many ways illuminated and in some ways confirmed my belief that who we are is a relationship. So we so often think about who we are as the flesh and the bones and the thoughts and the sensations that we experience moment to moment, but the truth is that we are so much more. We are aspects of everything that we experience. And our challenge is holding this wholeness in a way that allows us to think and relate and to take action from it. And you know, Black History Month is an interesting time of year for me as a Black woman. It's an invitation to acknowledge or to even to have acknowledged aspects of myself that inform how I'm seen and how I engage with the world around me. And you know what? It's also an opportunity for the non-Black world to recognize the many ways that Black people, culture, and history inform and influence who you are. So Black History Month is an American construct. I'm not even sure if they have it in other countries. They certainly don't have it here in Australia, but it's an American construct for an experience that really should extend to all peoples every day. And so my question for you is, who are the people that are different to you from different cultures or with different histories that influence who you are and who you can be in the world? How does your connection to them make you more you? And for me, that list of folks grows with each conversation that we have on this podcast, which is why I cannot wait to share the chat that we had with Jana Long. So Jana is a yoga teacher and a certified yoga therapist living and working in Baltimore. And she's also one of the founders and the current executive director of the Black Yoga Teachers Alliance, BIDA. We talk a little bit about BIDA in our conversation. And you know, last year, Yoga Journal included Jana in its list of game changers in the yoga and social justice space. And our chat with her was an opportunity for us to find out why. And we did. Jana shared beautiful stories. If you like stories, you're definitely in for a treat. She shared some really lovely stories of her earliest days in yoga and how They supported and inspired who she is today, and we also got to hear the origin story of Baida and how her involvement with Baida has taken her to places that she never would have imagined being at this stage in her life, nearly 70 years old. So personally, um, and as a Black woman in my 50s, I found Jana's story and her path to be beyond inspiring. 
And I, and I know that no matter what your age or your race, ethnicity, whether you're a yoga teacher or student or a seeker on the path, I know you're going to find something in what Jana has to share that will activate and inspire you too. And so with that, I invite you to enjoy this conversation that Lucy and I had with Jana Long. Hello, everyone. It's Shara Carruthers here, and I am so, so happy to be back with you, especially because today we've got a really, a really special guest. I'm here with Jana Long and my podcast co-host, Lucy Carnani. And so how's everybody doing today? Great. Fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, I I too am doing fabulously well. Yes. Yes. Especially especially because... Especially because it is, I think, 16, 17 days now post full shoulder replacement surgery. And um, I saw the doctor on Tuesday to get the stitches out and he checked my range of motion from the exercises I've been doing and I got a gold star. So I'm feeling very grateful and relieved. Um, And uh, just want to say, though, to everybody that it has totally a huge part of my recovery so far and it's very early days has been my daily practices you know really drawing on many many aspects of my yoga so I could talk about that for a long time I won't but um just to say very grateful for it so yeah yeah. good and happy to have you here too uh, post-surgery so thanks for showing up so Jana I am so happy to be able to have you here for this conversation. I have actually been following you for quite some time on a number of different levels. Like myself, you have some involvement with Ayurveda, obviously yoga teacher, yoga therapist, and I, I've really enjoyed your work. And even perhaps even more recently, which we may talk about with as a, as a part of the, um, the Black Yoga Teachers Association or Black Yoga Teachers Alliance, I think it is, isn't it? Um, but firstly, I would love to know, uh, because this is something I don't really know, I would really love to know about your yoga story. Where did you, when and where and how did you come to yoga? Well, first of all, Chara, it's very, very nice to meet you. And um, I follow you too. And that sounds so weird, doesn't it? Following yes. people. <laughs> like, oh, who's following me? <laughs> Um, so I'm always surprised to hear that anybody would want to follow me because, you know, I just move naturally from day to day without much thought about followers and that sort of thing. But, you know, yoga for me has been a long time practice. I'm really proud to say that it's one of the few things that I have stuck with. And now uh, in 2022, I celebrate my 50th year since the practice, since I became aware of the practice of yoga. And and I feel really proud of that. As I said, it's been, um, I've come to rely on it Mm -hmm. um, just to support me in how I move in life, to give me the opportunity to constantly self-reflect and to look at myself first Mm -hmm. before I turn my lens outward Mm -hmm. and look at 
other people to just allow what is within me to surface and then to examine that. And, and I think uh, for someone who's had a 50 year practice and a practice that began before yoga teacher certifications and yoga mats and studios on every corner and all of that, the tools of how yoga was not really taught, shared, shared and um, a lot of spadhyaya at the time because um, I do believe that now don't get mad yoga teachers when I say <laughs> this, but we really don't need people to teach us yoga, but you might need someone to help you learn how to not hurt people if you're teaching them hatha yoga, that physical approach to yoga, but you, you have to learn how to practice those yamas, non-violence, non-stealing, um, uh, uh, truthfulness, uh, the, the, the uh, not being greedy, not grasping, learning to live with other people um, in community, and then looking at your own self-awareness, your own self-observances. And without yoga teachers, as we have them today, uh, most people in my age range or who have had this uh, yoga practice, say, since the early 70s, we had to do a lot of self-study. And that takes you out of the physical practice and into one of more contemplative and meditation, the, those, um, those uh, limbs of yoga that uh, are below uh, the, the first three, the, the yamas, the, well, the yamas, the niyamas count, of course. And you know, the other thing about that, even when I encountered teachers back then, far and few in between, we weren't exercising. Mm. We were together, we, we were sitting, we were learning to sit. And that's what I'm most proud of mm. is that I have learned to perfect my seat, mm. my sit, and that's it. I just, and, and, and I tell people that's the hardest part of yoga to do. And it's the hardest part to teach. Because it's sitting. <laughs> yeah, which nobody wants to do. Nobody wants to do. And it's funny, too, because when you mentioned sitting, I think of the way that you're saying it. I think of not just a physical seat. I think of, you know, the way that we can just sit and, and something that's, that Lucy's really familiar with because she's done a lot of study and work with this idea of holding space. You know, just our ability to kind of hold space for whatever's happening inside and outside of us. And when you say sit, that's what I kind of think of, you know? Yes, I like to language, I invite people to sit in their own seat of comfort. Mm. Or discomfort, or discomfort. Yeah. Or discomfort, yeah. but hopefully comfort because, you know, to me, when we're discomforted, when it gets to a, a point of, of practicing uh, dhyana, the meditation, 
if you are discomforted, that's going to be very difficult, you know, for you to be in that seat of comfort. Uh, so, you know, I like to look at the physical practice, many things arise and those discomforts and all of the moving of your mind and resistance, acceptance, et cetera, et cetera. And you work that out. Uh, uh, that's how I practice that my mm. physical practice is so I can work out all that discomfort mm. so that now, ah, all right, I feel pretty good. Mm. I think I can sit now and breathe, feel my breath, be aware of my breath and sit undisturbed, Mm. undisturbed Mm. mentally and physically and allow my spirit to speak Mm. softly to me. Yeah. 50 years. Wow. Oh, well, I know that's a long time. <laughs> I do find myself want, like, I know I, well, I don't know, but I'm, I'm guessing there may not have been a lot of black people, you know, practicing yoga at that time. Was there something happening in your life that 50 years ago that made yoga seem, you know, necessary, interesting, exciting, sexy? I don't know. What was it? Well, first, let me say there, I practiced 30 years before I ever encountered another Black person that practiced yoga in the way we talk about practicing yoga now. Now, I knew many Black people prior to that, they weren't teaching me how to pose or do postures on a yoga mat. What those encounters did was to help elevate my consciousness to help broaden my thinking, uh, to uh, be engaged in community and learn how to listen and share with openness and not condemnation, something that is really kind of eroding and how we're uh, connecting and communicating with each other. So they were not people that I would say were classically trained yoga teachers or had been to ashrams. These are everyday people. Mm-hmm. And, um, but who lived rich lives that had um, depth and meaning and, uh, and, and ways of being that when shared just opened me up to wanting to know more. But I think what it's, what started for me, I, now don't ask me why, I don't know why, because as a young black woman, you know, I'm not so different from so many other people. Uh, I was early on more or less raised in the church. The churches I love and I remember the most were those sanctified churches that my grandmother used to take me to where people caught spirits and they talked in tongues. Wow, that was something. And I'll tell you that I think that's when I learned that's how real spirit is and how there is such a thing as spiritual possession and that. And I was a very young child, but I could feel that energy in those spaces. I remember a few times I even got up and did the huckabuck in the aisle and (laughs) 
tried to talk in tongues. I'm talking like I'm about three, four years old at the time, but there was an energy that I could feel. And, and then as I got older, you know, uh, my parents sending me to Sunday school and, but the questions that I had, I got in trouble for asking them in church. I had deep questions uh, as a child, just kind of, you know, I thought were, you know, like I wanted to know. I'm in black churches. I wanted to know, is God white? Because all the pictures in the church, it looked like it was to me. And I'm looking, well, how, you know, is that? Yeah. And remember at, at, at this time, say when I'm 11, 12 years old, the, um, the civil rights movement is in full swing, you know, March on Washington. And so there's this juxtaposition of dogs being sicked on people and fire hoses and, you know, the we're, uh, we shall overcome and the march in, in Montgomery, et cetera, et cetera. All this is happening. And some of it's being broadcast on television and for sure photographs and at that time, Life and Ebony magazine. But yet when I go to church, there's these images of the white God and the white Jesus. So asking a very simple question, like is God white in Sunday school? Mind you, black church got me in a lot of trouble. And never, the question was never answered. The other one, there were a lot of questions that I would have. And um, I, I met with a lot of condemnation from the, the adults. So for a while I had my tithing money, but I would not go to church. I went to the local drugstore and I spent my tithing money on teen magazines until I was found out. And, and actually, and my parents did not uh, force me to go back to church. But I think that started a longing for some understanding of my own spiritual nature, because I had felt it mm. at a young age. And I just was curious. And just, I'll tell you another story. This one is incredible. So I was about two years old. We lived in Miami at the time. And it was, I lived with my mother and my grandmother because my parents weren't married when I was born. They married later on, but in my early childhood, they weren't together. We were living in Miami. So my mother went to work, I'm, my grandmother's watching me, some friends of hers come over and they're taking their kids to the local zoo or park or whatever. And they ask, can I come along? And my grandmother says, yes. So I go and I remember walking through what appeared to, I remember a lake and I remember seeing a pink swan and all that. And I was with these people. And then suddenly I realized they weren't there anymore. They, I couldn't find them. And I was by myself. And I began to, yeah. And I remember walking. Now this sounds crazy. I was walking and I felt like I was in a tunnel or something. You know, I just kept going. And eventually I got to this place in a, on a street 
And when I looked down the street, I saw my mother and she ran to me and picked me up. Okay, for, so for years, that sort of receded into the back of my mind, right? I was in my 60s and before my mom died, this feeling and this story came back and I'm talking to her one day and I say, yeah, mom, you know, I keep having this, this kind of dream or I don't know what it is. I said, but I was like a little kid and, da, 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 and I went to this park and these people left me and then I was walking. I felt like I was walking through a tunnel and then I looked up and you were coming towards me. And you know, my mom goes, you remember that? I said, that really happened? She said, yeah. So from her side of it, she gets home from work, right? She asked my grandmother, where's Jan? That's what they call me. They call me Jan. Where's Jan? And my grandmother says, oh, she went off with so-and-so's friends to the park. What friends? I don't know. Well, where did they go? I don't know. Well, my mom said in that moment, the top of her head literally exploded. And she said her heart was in her throat. You know, she said, I grabbed my purse. She said, I had no idea where I was going, but I ran out and I ran to the street. And she said, and I couldn't look, believe it. I looked up and I said, she said, the first thing I thought was, there's a baby walking down the street. <laughs> And then she realized, oh, hell, that's my thing. <laughs> and she ran towards me. And I, rem and I remember my mom picking me up and squeezing me. And um, I share that story because I felt I was being guided mm -hmm. as that little kid. I didn't know where I was. I was like, I couldn't have been more than three years old. And I found my way back home. And my mom always would sign, um, when she was being sentimental, she always would say that, uh, happy birthday, Jana, uh, you, or something like, you know, to someone who can always find her way, you know, always. But there was, there was this sense, and I think it was that sense of something I don't know what it is, but I was seeking that as a young person. And it, I thought it would be through church and it wasn't. So then by the time I'm in my early teens and, you know, it's the 60s and astrology is the big deal, right? So I learn about my sun sign and uh, I met someone who was actually an astrologer, not reading the popular stuff in the newspaper, but knew how to uh, cast charts. And he began to tutor me. So that was my first love. Again, just seeking to know myself, mm -hmm. you know, and, and then one thing, uh, yeah, I tried, um, I think I've tried every religion. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I've practiced Buddhism. I've practiced Islam. I went to Catholic school. It was those Pentecostal churches. My parents claimed to be Methodist. I went to Baptist church. I'm telling you. But when I found yoga, I felt, now this, I understand. <laughs> you found your home. You found yeah, your home. this. 
I understand. Yeah. And and then the more I learned about it, because you know, yoga's like an onion. It's just layered. You're never gonna know everything. You keep peeling and peeling and peeling. But it all leads back to your own self-discovery, self-awareness and love and acceptance of self, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And and so that's, that's, I, I think I was a spiritual seeker. And I continue to be that more so than, I, you know, I had a great body as a young person. Hey, I have a great body now. <laughs> yeah. a, no, I mean, you know, I can, I, I can function, you know what I'm yeah. saying? I can squat down and get something off the low shelf and get yeah. back up again. You know, I, I that's what I mean. And yeah. um, I was never really concerned, uh, fortunately for me. Uh, you know, not a lot of um, concern about my physical body. It was mm-hmm. functioning. Yeah. And I can knock on wood, I've lived a, a healthy life. Um, and of course, yoga makes you look at things like how you eat mm-hmm. and what you put in your body. It's, you know, it links to so many uh, areas of life that I mean, I just got lost in it and I'm glad. <laughs> so, so Jenna, I actually have a question. You you mentioned that you've tried every tried every religion. Um, of course, in yoga, there's many different um I, I don't like using the word lineages and styles and oh, so yeah. but but there are. Um, mm-hmm. I'm curious which are the ones that you've been, you know, called to and and draw on. So when I decided to become a yoga teacher at the encouragement of the first black yoga teacher I met mm-hmm. ever, like I said, practicing more or less on my own and every now and again, finding a class at the local YWCA or one of the non-denominational churches. I grew up in Washington, DC, but I, I was going to the gym, I, you know, just to do the regular kind of gym working out. And this uh, fine black man showed up, <laughs> girl looked like Black Jesus, he had these <laughs> long dreadlocks. And I was like, who are you? And he's like, oh, I'm going to be the yoga teacher. You know I signed up. <laughs> Beautiful human being. He was fantastic. His name is Ross Omar Kush. And um, he encouraged me to think about teaching because, you know, taking his classes every time, I think it was twice a week, I was there every class and we got to know each other. Um, uh, and, and let me mind you now, I don't think I'm old enough to be his mother, but I am <laughs> older than he is. But he was just such a one, uh, a, a genuine spirit and very um, serious yoga practitioner, very uh, uh, a good uh, physical body and physical practitioner, but 
he had that other piece of it too. And one day we were talking and he said, you know, have you ever thought about being a yoga teacher? I think you'd be really good. And it was, I was already starting to think about retiring from my corporate job and being free, having my own days. And, and I loved yoga. So that's, that's how I decided to teach. So when I decided that, well, now, by now, I've moved from Washington, the Washington, D.C. area to Baltimore, where I live now, because I, at that time, was a single parent with three children, three daughters, who were going to be entering college, one behind the other. And um, I didn't think I could afford their college educations and live in DC. So the idea was to work in DC where you make more money because mm -hmm. cost of living is higher, but to live in Baltimore because the cost of living was lower. And that would enable me to fi help finance my daughters going through college. When I came to Baltimore, um, I spent a lot and still do listen to the Morgan State University radio station. And they have do a lot of two-way talk shows on that station. So you can hear from the community. People call in. I've done it myself many times. I was listening to this show one day. And it was about, it was called the Community Health Beat. I'll never forget it. And they were talking about the health culprits in the Black community, diabetes, hypertension, and obesity. And people were calling in and they were just lamenting and blah, blah, blah. I picked up the phone. I was like, I got to get in this. I called up and I started talking about yoga. And how, you know, we need a self-care tool and yoga can help you to support the management of these acute and chronic conditions. I don't know what I said, but it must sound a damn good because <laughs> the host of the show said, caller, can you stay on the line? And I did. Do you know they invited me to be on the show? Well, then I was like, oh, snap. <laughs> and that's how, so what, so because of where I was and because of my intention in terms of other people, not my own, well, my own practice, but looking at myself as if I were going to teach yoga, I decided to uh, do that initial certification in the approach of integrative yoga therapy. Mm -hmm. So, and I'll tell you another reason why, because um, most of the people, uh, Morgan State University, of course, is a is a, um, an historically uh, Black college, an HBCU, mm -hmm. and um, Baltimore is a predominantly Black city in terms of the percentage of the population. This is also a town where one of the most renowned medical research centers and hospitals is housed, Johns Hopkins University. And you got a whole lot of poor, sick Black people here who are afraid to go to Johns Hopkins, even when it is in their back door. And there's a lot of 
economic and health disparities here. So, and people in the black community at that time held very fundamental Christian views. So to approach somebody talking about yoga, Mm -hmm. when I first started teaching, which would have been about 2006, Oh, it was like, you would have thought I was Dracula. They took out the, you know, the wooden stake. It's like, get thee away from me, Satan. Some of that has changed a great deal, but by sort of uh, divorcing the lineages and all of that, and, you know, I'm talking to Black people here. They don't care about Hindu culture and all that stuff. And the, the truth is, I understand it from a uh, rational and intellectual, but I don't feel that in my bones either. As long as I've practiced yoga, I've always wanted to, I'm looking for myself because I think the codification of yoga is universal. You can find yourself there. You may not, I don't find myself in Hinduism, right? And that, uh, but I do find myself in the, in the uh, philosophy of, to some extent, the Vedas, the practice. I think there's a place for anyone, whatever they believe, to enter yoga, So I decided to, uh, plus the teacher of all the places I'd gone looking for the right teacher. See that, because for me, it's an energetic thing. I'm not just going to pay you because you say you teach something. And then I come to your place. You don't even speak to me. How are you going to teach me? You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I'll never forget when I found my teacher. And let me just say this race ain't got nothing to do with that. It's energy. I walked in the room, the teacher, I didn't, she looked at me, she says, she points over because there was a circle and she was saying, come on in and sit here. And then we talked afterwards and um, I felt her. That's all I can say. I felt her and I said, this is, this is who I want. This is who I want to study with, you know, this is, um, this is a person, you know, it's just a human being that is just showing up as who they are as a human being and, and with that openness. So uh, the integrative yoga therapy approach is now, after I did that certification, I went to Kripalu and I studied there. I went to India and I studied there and that broadened you know, now I'm involved with more teachers and more perspectives. I went down to Duke University and did more uh, studies and um, certifications in specifically uh, teaching yoga to seniors. But that program at Duke was, um, it was like a mini medical I felt like I was in med school. It was so great. And we had the opportunity to learn from some of Duke's finest doctors and researchers who came in to do presentations. I think I might've been in the first or second cohort 
of at the time they were calling it yoga therapy for seniors, but you know, all this stuff about using the word therapy and blah, 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 blah. Uh, so they changed it, the name, but I was in that first uh, cohort. So, um, but that, that helped to open up, helped me to open more people in the uh, uh, black people in Baltimore. Now, let me just say this. I am very proud to say everybody comes to my classes and I'm really, because see, it's, it's about the teacher who you, you know, how people, can you make, help people feel safe with you, mm. trust you, laugh with you, support you as you support them. Cause for me, I think because of, those early interactions, yoga to me is about building a community. It's about us being in community with each other. Um, and that don't mean we gotta live next door to each other and I gotta be your best friend. But when we connect, it's like any friend that's a real friend. It makes no difference how much time passes if you lose connection. When you come together again, you're right back. That's community. And that's what I work on when I teach, more so than whether they're doing this posture, that posture. It's like, um, and, and, and even virtually um, having that community. Uh, and it's very important as people get older mm. to have community. Mm. Yeah. That's, I, wow. I love that. I, know. <laughs> I love that you talk about that for so many reasons, this idea of community one, because, well, just speaking, I, I'm, I'm, I know that community has always been important to human beings. I feel that community at this point, right now in our evolution as human beings, just based on, you know, what we've been going through, even in just the last 10 years or more, or even shorter period of time, community is incredibly important. And I also feel as though if we just zero right on in on the last couple of years and what we're dealing with now, you know, uh, as a result of COVID and, and what we don't even necessarily know um, we're dealing with, in other words, it's going to be revealing itself over the years to come. I feel like community is an incredibly important aspect. And I love your focus on that because I feel like there are lots of folks out there who are trying to, who are thinking about how yoga can support, you know, us, whether that, you know, everybody. Um, and that's one small aspect of it, but I feel like that's the biggest, that should be the biggest area of focus of it. And I, I think, you know, this, to me, this is kind of leading in my mind to the question about the Black Yoga Teachers Alliance. And I would really love for you to talk about that because for me, I, as a member, as a, as a, I'm not sure if, I'm not sure if I'm an official member. I know I'm on the Facebook. Group. I think I you joined. I think I did join. I think I did. I was I'm like, the executive director, the secretary, the administrator. <laughs> All right. Okay. Oh, good. I know I've been involved with it in, in that I've been on the Facebook group and, you know, and connected with folks and, and all of that. And it has, as somebody, you know, as a, as a black yoga teacher, as a yoga teacher, as somebody who's living out here in Australia, away from, you know, away from the, the US and there's people in there that are all over the world. I definitely feel like the, that has been, uh, 
an important aspect of me feeling as though I belong in the yoga world. And so I would really love to hear from you about where that came from, how, and how's it going? (laughs) (laughs) So that same teacher that encouraged me to consider teaching one year, um, he went to a conference given by the International Association of Black Yoga Teachers. He came back to the yoga, he was fired up. He was like, oh my God, I went to this, uh, uh, I think it might've been in New Mexico, Black Yoga Teachers. I was like, oh, there's a Black Yoga Teachers group? He says, yeah. And he was telling about the bears in New Mexico and they were camping out and, but It was the energy. He was on fire. And so uh, he says, you know, they're going to do another conference next year, which would be 2002. So I'm talking 2001 to 2002. Because, oh, uh, Ross, I think I I practiced yoga with Ross um, about five years. I think he showed up at the gym around 1999, at the fitness center around 99. Anyway, so I did it. I got a. Uh, I started. Um, I'm trying to think how were we were we using the internet at that time? They did have a website, but you know, it's nothing like things are now. Mm-hmm. And I decided to go. And Ross brought. He recommended that I read uh, "Opening to Spirit" by Shola Arewa right? Carolyn Shola Arewa. So I bought that. And here's a Black yoga teacher's perspective and pulling in all of the cosmologies, but from an African perspective, not so much about Shiva Shakti and Hanuman and all that. Now we're looking at the cosmology, the spiritual cosmology, primarily of West Africans mm-hmm. and, and, and seeing parallels, actually. And so I decided I would go to the IABYT conference. Well, I go in, uh, that was 2002. In fact, I celebrated my 50th birthday there. And Krishna Carr uh, was the president at the time. And I met her and I think there were about 45 black yoga teachers that showed up. It was just outside of Chicago. And I was like, oh my God, 45 black. I thought, you know, so many of us, <laughs> can you believe <laughs> so many mm-hmm. and feeling right at home? Well, anyway, uh, one of those teachers I met there was Maya Breuer, who also showed up. And let me just say this real quick. It was so funny how we met. So, you know, when yoga teachers get together, everybody wants to be pure and pure. You know, they want, they don't eat this. I don't do that. I don't this, that refined sugar, blah, 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 all that. So I was dying for a cup of coffee. I was like, look, I've been here two days. If I don't get some coffee, I'm gonna hurt somebody. So, <laughs> so I'm wandering around. We were staying at a Jesuit college and there were some machines around. I stumbled up. We were in a dormitory building. Oh my God. I found the kitchen. I found the coffee. I was like, oh my God. And I'm over there, like a got the shakes making my coffee. <laughs> and when I turn around, Maya's sitting on a couch behind me with her arms folded, looking at me. And I turn around, I'm like, oh, like caught. And she <laughs> says, she says, oh, you drink coffee. 
And I was like, yeah, I do. She's like, girl, I've been trying to find somebody up in here and drink some coffee. And we sat down and had coffee together. And uh, as I, BYT, tried to grow in, in ways like having chapters and, and all of that. And Maya and I worked together on one of their conferences. Uh, and another project that they did in LA. But as that organization's activities began to subside and seem like nothing was happening, one day I was visiting her and we were in her kitchen and just said, you know, we should start another Black yoga teachers organization because what, because it did feel like home. It was great to be in a group. I had never experienced that before. And it wasn't like there's any black yoga that's different from the white yoga or whoever, Indian yoga. We're all doing, if you're looking at it from the physical, everybody's doing the same posture, so to speak. But that sense of belonging and you know, I, one of the memories that stands out is uh, the workshops were over and we're in the uh, dorm, the dorm just hanging out with each other. And people were like, well, what's your favorite yoga posture? And yeah, and I'd never been with a group of people I could talk like that with because, you know, I didn't say stuff like that. My family, girl, people's eyes roll heavenward. They're like, oh, Lord, there she goes. They don't want to hear that. Yeah. But to be with a group of people who we could just, I could, we could talk about yoga all day, all night, all the time and feel satisfied. And, you know, like there, I just, I can't tell you what that felt like, but it, it felt, I felt like I'd found my tribe. There it is. You know, I felt like, oh, I'm in a tribe now. And and it really was that because when black yoga teachers started, so Maya and I are like, yeah, let's start another group. I don't know what, I did not know what I did not know. However, <laughs> when we started, Facebook had just gone public. I'm still working. And I started a Facebook group and it said, if you think there's a need for, uh, I'm a former member of IABYT. If you think there's a need for another black yoga teachers organization, join this group. And I sent it out to the 20, 28 of the 45 black yoga teachers that I could still connect with. And then slowly people started joining the group on Facebook and, um, by the channel, channel, what yeah. year was this about? That was around 2009. No. Okay. 2008, 2000. So Maya and I, yeah, let's start a group. Okay, well, I'm gonna open up a Facebook group, see if anybody's interested. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe I don't know if people are interested in that or not. So we'll do a little polling through, you know, Facebook. By 2012, we had about 1,200 members in the group. It started with 28. Um, and by the time we got to 1500, we're thinking, wow, this, we might really have to have <laughs> a real organization. And, uh, we wanted to test to see if we could get people to come to a conference. Well, nobody signed up for that. And before we lost our money, cause we were using our own personal funds to secure a, 
a place to have a conference. And I, I was like, you know what? I'm not willing to sacrifice my $375, only $750 deposit. But we knew we had more work to do. So we, we canceled, got our money back, but we opened up a bank account for, and then it was like, what do we call it? Black Yoga Teachers Association, blah, blah, blah. Well, uh, Black Yoga Teachers Alliance, and we love saying, baita, baita, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's it, you know, it's got some mm in it. And, and we took that $750 and, you know, after doing some research, it was cheaper to incorporate the nonprofit in Maryland than it was in Rhode Island, blah, blah, blah. But we had some funds to use to actually set up the structure of the nonprofit. Well, then to make a longer, uh, a, a longer story, a little bit shorter, Maya had been, um, on the board of trustees at Kripalu and their president at the time, I don't know how he caught wind about Black Yoga Teachers Alliance, but she was there for a meeting and he met with her and uh, offered to support Vida by uh, uh, suggesting that maybe we that conference that we had pulled the plug on in 2015, maybe we'd like to bring it to Kropalu in 2016. And we were like, what? You know, and we did. And that was our inaugural conference. And I, well, I did cry. I was going to say I almost cried. No, I was ugly face crying when <laughs> folks... When people showed up because we had a wonderful turnout, so many former members from IABYT. So that thing about being a tribe, mm -hmm. they came and then new people. And I, as they walked into the room, I and I were up on the stage. I'm not kidding. I was sitting there ugly face, you know, with the snot and all of that crying. I was so moved that they, you know, and it felt right. Well, we stayed like that for two years, but then Yoga Alliance got Maya. She said, I'm going to go get me a job. <laughs> I can't blame her. And, uh, and then it was a moment where I had some doubts about whether I had the fortitude to carry forward black yoga teachers. Cause we had just formed, there were only three of us, mm -hmm. uh, Maya, myself and my significant other who is uh, just such a talented person whose arm I twisted. <laughs> Many threats to get him to sign on and to support us. And I, he did it willingly actually, but it just left the two of us at a time when we had committed to three events. Mm -hmm. And that was 2018 or yeah, 2019. And so talk about putting on your big girl pants because I knew people believed in Vida. Mm -hmm. They believed in Black Yoga Teachers Alliance. They were showing up for Black Yoga Teachers Alliance. And I was like, you came back out now, sweetheart. And I just prayed that the right people who wanted to support Vida 
would come out of the mist. Now I know that sounds crazy, you know, but that's kind of how I function. You know, I know I could go online and I could look up this and I could get your resume and all that. No, no, no. It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing. And, and I, and this is what I've learned from yoga more than anything else. Trust your spirit. Trust, see, our rational, all, all the culture, you know, you think it through. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's that. But the knowing is in you. You have to learn to trust that. And, I'm, and that's, I think, the thing that yoga has given me. And don't get me wrong, I have my doubts about myself or what I, but I'm, I've learned to trust spirit first, trust it. And, and you'll find that what you're seeking, you, it's been in you all along. So I was praying, I was like, we need a board. We didn't even have a board. Let me tell you, the most amazing people came out of the mist. I had an event for Bida in Baltimore. That's where we found our treasurer. Just, yeah, I want to support this organization. I see what y'all trying to do, blah, blah, blah. The secretary of our board, same thing. I, and they were the right people at the right time. And we have learned to work together. We've been working together now going into the third year because uh, they, they're on two-year tenures for their positions. So they up for the next, the second two years, you know, according to our bylaws. And we've really congealed and everybody's understanding each other. It's been amazing. But they, and I hope that assistant that I need right now, I'm waiting for that person. <laughs> it's like, where are you? Come on out of, the, you know, emerge from the mist. Mm. Emerge from the mist. And you know them when you, you, you know who they are because bite is a, it, it came about as a result of following our spirit, not out of our intellect. Yeah. And so no need to give that up now. And so what's your vision? <laughs> what's your vision for Bida? Yeah. Well, we just celebrated our fifth year anniversary in 2021. Uh, which is a big deal uh, since, um, you know, most small nonprofits like BIDA go under in about three years or so. We've been really focused on building a strong, solid foundation, you know, and uh, uh, the infrastructure, really putting it together, wanting the next generation. I'll be 70 years old this year. Our President Dr. Gail Parker, we're seniors. We have worked. We's tied. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have had a job. This is not how I had planned uh, to spend my retirement. See, I didn't know what I didn't know. I am working again because of Vita. I'm in graduate school again. Mm because of BIDA, right? Because I had no experience in nonprofit uh, management and development. So I had to go learn something about it. 
So what my vision is, is to get this organization structured. I define BIDA's success for me is that it has a presence, a continuing presence in the world. Mm -hmm. I think it's that important. And, and that we get it structured solidly so that the next generation of leadership, they don't have to come in and do what we did. They don't have to figure stuff out. They can now, the processes, the, 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 the bylaws, the, the, all of the taxes, all of those things, straightforward. Now, the next generation can come in and take it to the next level. So, that, so that's, that's my vision. And, um, and, you know, when you start an organization with $750, it takes some time. <laughs> it takes some time to grow that. Um, and, and so, um, you know, I have a, a lot of folks, um, and I'll just say, honestly, I'm, I'm kind of like not a social media person. I like it when I'm talking to my friends and I'm saying happy birthday and I'm congratulating them on stuff, but the promotional and all of that kind of thing, um, we need somebody to do that. It's, it's not, it takes me out of the practice of yoga into almost like a hustle of yoga. And I have a lot, and that, that's my personal conflict. I'm, I'm always, every, every day I wrestle with that. But um, I'm just hoping that we can build a solid foundation for BIDA. And, and we're almost there uh, where we can also uh, accept more robust funding and do more programming. Um, we have a flagship program, Yoga as a Peace Practice, that has been incredible, uh, bringing uh, the, the tools and the community of contemplative practice together. See, because once you get up off that yoga mat, you know, and it makes you feel good, I won't lie, but then how are you walking the rest of the day? You know, how are you looking at what's going on in your own consciousness? And, and I think that those tools of self-reflection and for many people, uh, yoga as a peace practice started as an offering in community, in communities where people were impacted by violence. The killing of Trayvon Martin, I'd say was the impetus. But it when it's more it's it's more acute now. It's more than unarmed black people killed by police. Yes, that's still happening, but it's just the 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 incivility that we're living with in general. You know, nobody can that's another reason why I stay offline. You can't say anything. People are just seeing as opposed to uh opening and looking at how other people are viewing their lives and their, their roles in the world and accepting them for who they are, whether you agree with it or not. And then you decide your relationship to that, of mm. course. But I think it takes some, you, we have to learn to sit and hear things that we don't wanna hear and not always filter it through your own conditioning. See, mm. that's the hard part. See, you immediately start thinking about it through your own conditioning. 
And so yoga as a peace practice hopefully helps people to see how to get beyond that, to elevate their consciousness. See, we all have to come up a little higher so we can find a place where we can connect and have a conversation. Food is wonderful for that. You know, bringing people together to eat together. Yeah. They, they might be a little softer with each other. You know what I mean? So, so that's, um, Jenna, that's Jenna, my, mm-hmm. Jenna, is this a yoga as a peace practice? Is this a, an offering that, um, you know, our listeners can access? And, yoga and if so, a, how? It's a, it's a weekend. We have been offering it in two ways. It started off as a weekend retreat to train primarily yoga teachers in how to offer contemplative practice, to make space for that, to learn how to facilitate sharing circles and uh, how to conduct uh, uh, restorative yoga practices, yoga nidra. When in yoga as a peace practice, there's no hard and no down dogging and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Go lay down somewhere, take, you know, it's all about releasing and relax, relaxing because we are dealing with a lot of traumatized people on many different levels who the stress that they're carrying, learning to relax, being able to feel safe with other people. So that's what we're offering. And uh, so the training, it's a curriculum taught through the yamas and the niyamas that's it mm-hmm. you know and um and then we got an invitation we were do, uh doing these trainings we did it once at Kripalu and then at Yogaville well one of our Yogaville events we got an email from a young man in St. Louis Hey, I've heard about this yoga's peace practice. Y'all thinking about maybe you should bring it to St. Louis because St. Louis had blown up St. Louis Ferguson after Michael Brown thing, right? Mm. So this is Cosette. So we were like, well, tell you what, why don't you come to our Yogaville event? We'll, you know, hook you up and you can see if it's something that you think would be appropriate for St. Louis. Well, he and his wife came. Next year, the following year, we were in St. Louis with yoga as a peace practice. Many of the people who came had been directly impacted by the um, Ferguson, uh, what do we call that? What's the word for it? The, the, the blow up the, mm-hmm. the <laughs> in Ferguson, teachers who had to deal with students who couldn't go to school. And, you know, we don't think about when people are raising hell out in the streets all around you. Do you ever think about how does that look to somebody four, five, six years old? Mm-hmm. How scary that can be. And then if you're the teacher, the parent trying to manage that. So um, we went to Ferguson, uh, St. Louis. We got many teachers. We had a huge contingency from, of all places, Denver. And that's when we learned, wow, that was our first time, Vida being in the Midwest. Um, and, and, And again, the community, though many of those same People, we haven't returned to St. Louis yet because of COVID. We probably would have gone back. But again, it's such a powerful weekend 
that people stay in touch with each other. We talk to each other all, you know, I mean, it's just, and that's what I'm talking about, even virtually, because we have met in person, mm. we have trusted each other in person. We have relaxed with each other in person. We've broken bread and shared libations with each other in person. So reaching out over virtual space is just keeps that connection going. And I don't doubt that when we have a chance to return to St. Louis, we will. But this year, this year, let me just get this in before this podcast is over. <laughs> We're working up coming back to an in-person event and this time in Greenville, South Carolina. So this will be Bida's first time going south. Um, our tea, and these are, so it's, yoga is a peace practice. I mean, just back up. The way it has worked out, it's two parts now. There's a training that we do it for teachers or uh, often we get social workers, yoga teachers, but we get social workers and people who are dealing with uh, the psychiatric nurses, all kinds of people who are dealing with people who uh, they want some more tools to support their clientele, but primarily yoga teachers. And we've offered that our spot had been Yogaville in Buckingham, Virginia here. Mm -hmm. When we went to St. Louis, it was a community event. There were people there. They weren't yoga teachers. They were just people, teachers in public school, parents, you know, not everybody there. And we realized, wow, this is really, this is, these are the people we're trying to get to. Uh, Bida has always seen its members as ambassadors in their communities, whatever community that is. So one, we wanna dispel that just cause you're a black, a black yoga teacher does not mean you only teach black people, all right? But black people may wanna come to you because they're looking for a safe place to be. And sometimes when they show up in white spaces, they don't feel safe, all right? so. That's an option. Not everybody feels that way. So we wanna dispel that. So whatever community you're teaching in to be able to offer contemplative practices, restorative practices and help people relax, calm their central nervous systems and be able to look each other in the eye and smile and have a conversation, even if it's difficult. We're not enemies. And I think we've, we have succeeded with uh, support, supporting that effort for individuals with who have attended yoga as a peace practice. So we'll be in Greenville in August of this year, unless the pandemic, you know, everything is a caveat mm -hmm. with COVID-19. And, and this time we're gonna work with a, another nonprofit, a small black led nonprofit that's doing a lot of on the ground work, underfunded of course, trying to feed people, house people, deal with veterans, deal with at-risk youth, et cetera, et cetera. But they've offered us a space, the venue. And, um, and so we're looking forward to going down South. 
Because, you know, many of us, that's where our original roots are in the Southern United States. Mine are Mississippi and Alabama on my respective sides. So, yeah, so we're going to South Carolina and we'll see what happens and offer some yoga as a peace practice to that community. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, it, um, it doesn't sound like you're retiring anytime soon, by the way. <laughs> you know, I dreamed of this was the, the life. I'm a master gardener. One of the things I, I was doing as Jana, not connected to Black yoga teachers or whatever, whatever. Uh, one, I love to garden. Two, I uh, took this course to become a master gardener through University of Maryland to, you know, support community people who are interested in learning to grow and garden and such an empowerment that comes from that, you, you know, and to reconnect Black people, African Americans, you know, first of all, don't think that they brought some dumb Africans to the United States or to this, this, this area of North America. No, the people they brought here knew how to grow stuff. That's why they came. That's why they were, you know, shackled and brought over here to grow corn, to grow, I mean, not corn, to grow rice, to grow cotton to tend to vegetables, and they had many art, uh, arts and crafts. I learned that, for example, the reason blue, our genes are blue, that blue, that indigo, that knowing how to extract that dye from the plant, that's some African stuff. That's who was doing that, you know? So um, wanting to sort of this, alleviate the shame of, I think a lot of Black people feel ashamed of agriculture and not understanding that your connection to the earth is vital to your health. Mm. So I became a master gardener here in Baltimore to help educate the community about gardens and planting and growing in pots and the herbs and whatever else it is. So that's what I had planned for my retirement. And I make jewelry and I like to sew. I'm very domestic. And now I don't even have time to clean my house. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, I, but again, um, that, that IABYT conference I told you guys about in Chicago, there was a teacher there. He's, he's moved, he's joined the ancestors. His name was Dendial Morgan. And we were sitting at lunch one day and he said, if anybody could run this organization, I think it's you. I said, really? Cause I wasn't, that was not on, I'm like, of course I'm like, okay, didn't I all, <laughs> whatever, right? But that came back to, he, I heard that from him and he, it gave me a lot of confidence because I had another teacher at Kripalu. Her name was, uh, she went by Vidya, Carolyn Del Womo. And I remember having a conversation with her and she said, listen to what people tell you 
about you. Because sometimes people will say something to us and if we don't see ourselves that way, we're like, oh, you know, no, I'm not. You, either if it's a compliment, you're like, oh, no, please don't know what I said. No, you shy away from that. If it's a criticism, then you're like in your head, like, oh, who the hell they think they're talking about, whatever. She says, no, listen to what people tell you about you. Because what you project and what people see is not necessarily how you process it, <laughs> how you see yourself or how. So, uh, and, not, and that's why I said, you know, didn't Dayal saying, having the vote of confidence that I could do it and expressing that to me. And then hearing uh, Vidya's voice saying, and they're both with the ancestors now, black man, white woman, mm-hmm. saying, listen to what people tell you about yourself, unfiltered, take it in, take it in first, because you can't see yourself the way other people see you. The only way you can see yourself is in a mirror or a reflection. You feel yourself, but other people can see you, hear you, what you project. She said, pay attention to that, accept it. The good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> All of it. Even those people that say you ain't worth blah blah. Listen to them. It's something in you. That's that's a truth. Mm-hmm. There's some truth to that as well. Yeah. So they've helped me help. I've had so much support over the years and just so many. I I don't know if they're angels, brilliant people that I consider yoga teachers, even though they weren't certified, mm-hmm. but they are the ones that have helped me to grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, has helped me to grow. Mm-hmm. And I think from so much of what you've said today, you're going to help others grow too. Mm, you already are. You, you already, already are. are. Wow. Yoga, yoga Journal last year, I think it was last year, called you one of the game changers. And, I know. And, you know, I wasn't surprised when I saw that. But I feel just from having this conversation with you, just from having the absolute privilege to have this conversation with you, I feel like they didn't know the half of it. They really didn't. And and <laughs> you are just you are an inspiration. Sorry, I'm getting a little bit verklempt because I know there's a there's a oh, anyway, um, I was, you are an inspiration you are, you know, the, the work that you're doing in the world is, you know, is, is truly a game, is truly game changing. And your, your authenticity, your, and I hate that word these days, because it's used all kind, but you're just, oh, you're such an inspiration. I just really oh. want to, I want to thank when you that, for everything When that doing. yoga journal article came out, I was texting to my daughters. They're all grown. They're grown mm-hmm. women. I was like, I'm a game changer. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Even just that. I'm a game Look at me. changer. <laughs> you know, but one thing's for sure. I yeah. think this is from my own mother. To always know people are watching you. And, and we, you know, when you look back over your life and what you've learned, you don't always learn at the master's 
eat or the tea, the classroom. Sometimes some of what you witness that other of other people, and, and, and that's why that saying when they say to children, do as I say, not as I do, no, they're watching you. That's the example, what you do. Because, you know, what you say, people lie all the time. Yeah, people talk all kinds of BS. I mean, yeah, forget what you say. No, it's what you're modeling. And, um, and I think in practicing yoga, uh, and I, I'm, this is, I, I'm very sincere when I say this. Uh, I I must be in integrity all the time because when I'm out of that, I don't feel right about myself. Mm -hmm. It isn't even about you. It's about, see, you know, when you've wounded yourself, when you've wounded your own spirit by not keeping your word, you know, so many little ways. You, every time that happens, it's just another little chip. Me personally, I don't like feeling like that. I try to feel good every day. Mm. And, you know, now that I'm a senior, every day is precious. Mm -hmm. I don't have time to waste on bad feelings. And I know that I can help it. You know, sometimes I might be thinking it, but I know that if I say it and I haven't thought it through, I could say it in a way that could hurt someone's feelings. Do I need to say that? No, I don't. Just keep your mouth shut. You know, because once that's out, now I've chipped away at your spirit with, you know, with my tongue lashing or whatever. Mm. Being in integrity with yourself. And only you know when you're out of it. And I hope as people, more people come into practicing yoga, practicing yoga, let me, and practicing yoga, not trying to teach, but no, practice some yoga for a while. Get your practice together. When, uh, when people say, I want to train with you to be a yoga teacher, I just ask them, why do you, who are you to be a yoga teacher? And now can you, you know, who are you to be a yoga teacher? And if you can't answer that question, maybe you need to go practice yoga a little while longer <laughs> for yourself. So you can then know who you are to be a yoga teacher. Yeah. So as a result, I don't get very many students. <laughs> I like the hell with that. <laughs> I got my money. I'm ready to pay for this training. It's like you're talking all kinds of crazy stuff. Oh, <laughs> uh, so just to, I suppose just to wrap just to wrap all of this up. I mean, we could talk with we could go on talking to you for hours and hours. But just to wrap it up, I just really want to say thank you for who you're being, Jana Long. Thank and you for thank you for inviting me. I'm just emerging since the end of the BIDA conference, which was uh, August. I've been working nonstop for BIDA for five years. I was like, I need a break. I need a vacation. I have, and I just stopped. I got off social media. I got off, I was doing the bare minimal. And guess what? Nothing happened. So thank you. <laughs> So now I'm re-emerging 
accepting invitations such as this one, which I'm so grateful for. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm trying to come back out into the world now. And, you know, I got a little R&R and let my mind rest a bit and knowing that, you know, hopefully that when I'm gone, Bida will continue on. But in this, in this space and in 2022, I'm trying to come back out and, and get back to work more fully. Uh, but I did, I needed a break. And that's part of self-care. I was like, damn these people. <laughs> I, need a, <laughs> I need a break. I love that. Before I break. Mm-hmm. And, and nothing happened by being off social media. And yeah. And um, and now I don't know what to say anymore. <laughs> Oh, I think you. Oh, I think you've got plenty to say. That's you not a too. problem. And you you've too. got the energy. The energy is just, oh, um, you know, even across the thousands and thousands of miles, it's yeah. uh, it's incredible. Yeah, we're Thank glad you. you're back. Jenna, we're glad you're you. back. And we yes. look forward to continuing to follow you and to support anything that you're doing. So thank you again, Jana. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. It really has. I appreciate it. Much love to you. Thank you. (laughs) Both of you. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Well, hello, everybody. This is now just me, Lucy, and Shara. After having enjoyed that gorgeous conversation with Jana, and I use the word gorgeous actually intentionally because gorgeous means rich and colourful and with uh, all sorts of nuances. And that was our experience of this conversation. Shara and I are here together three days after our conversation with Jana. Hi, Shara. How are Hi. you now? <laughs> I'm good, actually. I'm Ooh. quite good. Yeah, glad to be yeah. back here with you, of course. <laughs> of course. And full disclosure, Shara and I have actually been talking about this conversation for the last Wow, coming up for two hours um, because there was a lot in it. And we really feel that uh, perhaps this of of all of our conversations together so far really lends itself to let you just be with what your experience was of it. Mm. Um, But there are a couple of things we can't help ourselves. There's a couple of things that we did want to (laughs) to sort of note. And uh, and perhaps, Shara, I'll... I'll, um, hand over to you to comment about for you as a black woman what yeah. was part of your experience yeah you know I, as you said I thought this was a gorgeous conversation for so many reasons it, it was very uh it was very rich and for me there were so many aspects of what Jana was saying and even just how Jana was being that I could relate to and connect to that felt like home for me and it's funny because now I'm thinking I'm remembering she that was kind of one of the themes that she early on in the conversation when she mentioned this idea of coming home or this you know of, of always sort of returning back to this place of centeredness and how that was a theme that kind of worked its way through her life or had worked or has worked its way through her life so far and you know for me as somebody as a black woman a black yoga teacher who doesn't really get to spend that much time with you know other black yoga teachers or you know frankly of a whole lot of more black people living here in Australia and and where I live there was an aspect or a a sense of coming home in this conversation for me 
And so I think that was a big, a big part of the, the feeling that it left me with that was this, this sense of relatedness and that I've had with other folks, but in a completely different way here. And so there were, there were a lot of things that, I think that was also kind of the lens through which I was seeing everything that, and, and hearing everything that Jana was saying and, and, and really appreciating her uh, for being, as I've said in the podcast, such an inspiration. Um, yeah, and, uh, and such a motivating force. So yeah, that's me. What about you? Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny you say those things and I yeah. feel in um, very similarly in lots of ways because of yeah. the, the um, uh, some of the parts, some of her stories really resonated with me. You know, yeah. for example, as a very young child questioning uh, things in her religious upbringing yeah. and, uh, and I did the same thing and, yeah. and, uh, and then you know, coming to yoga and being, it, it wasn't about the asana um, and, and being, you know, taught how to do them well or whatever. It was about the energy of the teacher that, uh, you know, had me want to uh, continue in this practice and continue to learn more about it. And, uh, and then actually something that um, Jana and, and we talked about after we stopped recording was that Vidya was, is, um, my most influential teacher and spiritual mm. mentor and even though she's passed from this life she continues to be so and and so when she said that honestly tears arose in my eyes and mine and too the back of my neck mine so, too because I know yes. about you and Vidna, Vidya yeah. I know about your relationship with Vidya and I was like yeah. oh, oh my god yeah <laughs> I, could, I could not I almost could not believe that sort of jaw drop but oh, um incredible moment yeah um, but you know what I found, um, you know, I'm a, a very privileged white woman and so forth. And as I think I've referenced, and I'm, I really am in the last few years doing my best to understand a whole lot more about the various marginalized communities in the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my studies, particularly in holding space with Heather Platt and so forth. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, trying to appreciate the complexities of uh, and intersectionalities of all of these um, situations. And... What I was struck by um, in the stories that Jana was telling and sharing was uh, how you can teach without there being a, a kind of a, a stridency about it. There was a yeah. grace around everything that yeah. she was sharing that was um, very welcoming, you know, very, very welcoming. And I, and I found her truly inspirational for that reason. Yeah. And I think for me, that was definitely something that uh, that struck me as well. And, you know, just this idea that uh, it, it feels that so much, you know, that there's been you know, perhaps for good reason, just a lot of tension around um, learning about, you know, differences and talking about differences and, you know, having these deeper conversations around um, equity and around inclusion, et cetera. Um, and I really appreciated Jana's very open-hearted and kind of open-armed um, approach to it all, or just, you know, the way that she, um, if in my mind, what, what I heard was there are many different ways to be around this, you know, if it, it, you know, caring, 
about this can look a lot of different ways. It doesn't necessarily have to look like, um, you know, you know, being in the streets, or it doesn't necessarily have to look like um, using a loud voice. You can be, you can, you can, you can be soft in this. You can be, um, you can be open-hearted in this. And I think she's modeling that. And that was a huge, uh, that was a huge thing for me too. You know, as somebody yeah. who's also just kind of trying to find my way to be around all of this, you know. Mm, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Mm. Yeah. You know, her inspiration, uh, not surprisingly, uh, took me more deeply into the website, the Black Yoga Teachers Alliance website. And yeah. um, so I really want to draw everybody's attention on the website. Um, Jana has created a 33-minute documentary called The Uncommon Yogi, which is a history of Blacks and yoga in the US. And it is so interesting because it is Exactly, that's the history of yoga and blacks. And I was blown away by how much involvement there were by people of color from a very, I'm talking about the 1800s. I mean, mm. from a very, very early stage in the history of how yoga has evolved in the West. Um, so I really recommend that to people and all the other information on the website and um, just grateful to have met her and to spend time with her. So. Me too. That's my closing thought. Mm, me too. Yeah, I'm gonna. That's it. Mic drop. There's nothing else for me. I think that's. I think yeah. Go to the website. <laughs> go to the website and, and thanks support so much them. To every, yes, for yeah. sure. And, and yeah, support and, the organization. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And thanks yeah. to everybody too for listening. We appreciate it, and uh, we'll see you next time. So much. Take good care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.